Hey, it's Michael Fabiano now with Sports Illustrated, and I'm here to help you through this wild fantasy football season. To win in fantasy, you need player rankings you can trust, and ours have received the Top 5 Accuracy Award over the last three seasons. Sign up for the all-new SI Fantasy Plus at si.com fantasy. We even have tools that sync with your leagues and experts who are standing by answering your questions in our premium chat. Sign up for SI Fantasy Plus at si.com fantasy and win your leagues in 2020. That's si.com fantasy. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 451 42 I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Here's your host with the most, Tiny Tim. What's good, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, my guest is the current mayor of Bainbridge, beautiful Bainbridge Island, Risham Nassar. How are you? Hello. I'm well, thank you. It's really good to be here. <laughs> it's kind of fake. We've been talking for 20 minutes off air, and <laughs> then I come in. How you doing? <laughs> hey, um... You decided that four years was not enough, and you wanted to come back for more. I did. Is that crazy talk, or um, (laughs) (laughs) what made you decide that you'd like more of that? Some people call it crazy. Um, Others call it passion, and and I agree. I really like the job. Um, The past four years have been um, an incredible learning lesson for me personally. and really about the inner workings of the city and how specifically our local government functions and operates. Uh, you probably remember, um, or maybe you don't, and just as a reminder, when I ran four years ago, it was 2017, I had been involved in city politics for a couple of years, well enough to know how to show up for a council meeting, how to give public comment, how to write in on the issues, how to advocate for issues. So I ran in 2017 on a platform of change. And one of the concerns, complaints that I personally held, having been tuned into city government for a couple of years at that point, and that I heard 
uh, overwhelmingly in the community was that the decisions and outcomes from city from city hall don't necessarily reflect the community's vision for the future. And the community's vision for the future, of course, is articulated in the comprehensive plan, which is a very ambitious goal-seeking document that kind of outlines how Bainbridge wants to change and how Bainbridge wants to adapt, how Bainbridge wants to preserve itself, its sense of place, its sense of uh, small-town feel, its uh, strong environmental values, in the face of uh, inevitable growth in our region, um, and of course, in the face of growth on Bainbridge um, as pursuant to the Growth Management Act. So <clears throat> agreeing with the public uh, in that regard and wanting to get in there on the city council and make decisions that would start to change the trend of outcomes, outcomes in development, outcomes in financial spending decisions in the city to be more in line and consistent with community values, I ran on that platform. Um, and I won. And I have to say that uh, the first year of being a city council member is really just learning how to be a city council member. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes right down to the detail of like remembering to turn your button on before you speak yes. so that you talk into the microphone, speaking slowly enough so people can hear and understand you, those sorts of things. But my first year was also very busy um, passing, and I would say very aggressively passing um, strict environmental legislation, one of which folks might remember is the Critical Areas Ordinance Update, which established the Aquifer Recharge Protection Area. That vote came in February after I was seated. That's probably the most significant piece of legislation that I had the privilege of supporting. Uh, and that was really in the interest of preserving our groundwater resources, uh, which there's a lot of concern about in the community as we continue to develop, not really understanding our water supply and what we call the carrying capacity of the island because we are a sole source aquifer island, meaning we get our water from one place. Uh, in addition to that, there was a develop, development moratorium that was adopted by that 2018 council, and I was really proud to support. Uh, what that did was put a very necessary pause on development um, throughout the majority of the island in order to go through and review and revise our land use codes. So that, again, we could take a hard look to see why are we getting the development outcomes that the community doesn't desire, um, inconsistent with our values. And the answer there is to look at those land use codes and see where you could make reforms and changes. Is, it, is that in place now? <clears throat> oh, no. That was – it took a lot longer <laughs> to do the work, to complete the work plan um, than anticipated. I think the, the final version of the moratorium was only lifted – sometime last year, but at that point it had become so narrow that it was almost unnoticeable unless you were seeking to develop in a certain part of the island. But we did complete a substantial amount of work on that work plan, I think in the first year, 2018, and throughout the remainder of 2019. We've um, <clears throat> made, the, made enough growth for 2050, yeah. correct? Yeah. So technically we would not have to build a, another anything on this island, right? Well, what... It's yeah. The way to um, understand that is in terms of well, first. Let me just back up. So currently, um, our comprehensive plan has conceived of our and incorporated our growth allocation, which is not something that we necessarily choose. Of course, we can influence it, 
but it's a regional growth allocation that is provided to Bainbridge from the Kitsap Regional Coordinating Council, who receives Kitsap County's growth allocation from Puget Sound Regional Council. So those numbers filter down, and Bainbridge has to agree to accept some of it, a we, portion. We absorb, we absorb some of the some growth of, growth, of yes. Kitsap County. So currently our comp plan um, is forecast through 2040, and currently our underlying zoning can't accommodate for that. We have not actually met that growth target yet because houses are still being built. We still have you know, mm -hmm. undeveloped parcels of land, mostly in the rural zones, that are well now in light of the COVID pandemic and its impact on real estate are in the process of being sold or in the process of being constructed. We now have to, and the work of the council next year is to update the comprehensive plan. And that ties back into the reason why I wanna run for reelection. Um, in that, again, you're gonna be looking at the fundamentals of the, the building blocks of our code, of our policies, the direction, which is really what the comp plan provides to develop those codes and policies, one of which is growth. Now, there's some perception that we need to grow more to meet our 2050 allocation. It's not true. Bainbridge Island currently can accommodate for its growth allocation through 2050 without changing anything. In addition to that, those figures, those numbers, don't factor in some of the bonus density programs that we provide here in our code already. For example, the Buildable Lands Report, upon which those figures are based, um, does not forecast additional dwelling units being constructed in the future and counting those in to our total growth allocation figures. And there's another little nuances and figures like that. So it gets pretty complicated at the granular level, um, but in the big sense, we're doing fine in terms of, of growth. And when I say fine, I mean it matches. Our direction right now is consistent mm -hmm. with the direction envisioned by the community. I want to be on the council so I can make sure it stays that way. Would you consider yourself anti-growth? <clears throat> no, I'm not anti-growth. Um, I, I hear about these polarities all the time, and you get into it too with affordable housing or environmentalist. Um, the idea that you have to be one or the other really defeats the purpose. It just polarizes the community, and then it raises the emotional level of these debates. And then, mm -hmm. guess what? Nothing happens. No one wins. Smart growth uh, is a term that I like to use when I help people understand kind of my perspective and approach to development. It really is about managing it. It's not about stopping it. We can't stop it. <clears throat> What we can do is manage it. And there are programs and tools that we can adopt that we haven't yet adopted. And I'm sorry to say in the four years I was on the council, we've just now started talking about a transfer of development right program in a really serious way. Uh, and if I have time, I could talk about why and talk about delays in city government. Uh, these things t just take time. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But a lot of these tools and mechanisms that will be effective at managing that growth, offsetting it, for example, from the rural parts of the island into our denser urban area like Winslow, um, are being discussed more seriously now at the level of the council and um, I think have an opportunity to come for forward as priorities when the community and the council start undergoing the comp plan update process. Okay, this may or may not be related, and you may know what's going on or not. Um, we built the sound to Olympics Trail um, off the ferry to High School Road, 
And now it's in the rest of the highway there is deemed a, a scenic highway. Now there seems to be three parcels of land on that scenic highway for sale right now. Is there something um, besides the Washington State Department of Transportation roundabout thing that's that's happening? Are we losing that scenic highway status? And is there um, are these people selling to then develop those areas? And that's... can they develop it? <laughs> they probably. I mean, I don't know those uh, parcels. I'm not familiar with them. I have seen the for sale signs. I just assume they're private property owners mm-hmm. capitalizing on the um, high value of real estate resulting from the pandemic. Property is just hot right now uh, on the island. So are my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I Oh, the stories I've heard about the taxes, um, including my own. So I definitely feel the burden and the pressure of that. Um, but... No, I mean, there's nothing at this city right now in terms of count anything that the council would have come before it that relates to the sale of those parcels. I think they're just part of the private real estate transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in that market, the council isn't really playing a role, if that's true, I don't, but I don't know. But in terms of the STO, um, no, that hasn't been talked about. It's another complaint of mine. <laughs> um, the Sound to Olympic Trail, of course, is what I'm referring to. I don't think it's really ever been publicly discussed. And even that first segment that was built, the what is that, the one from uh, 305 to high school? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, that must have been 2017 when construction was underway for that. And I remember the shock and horror of the community when all those trees came down and there was bare dirt and this 12 foot paved, quote, path went in. Um, and the community said, wait a minute, this is not at all what we thought we were signing up for. This mm-hmm. is not what we supported. Um, and then the bigger question they ask, which I'm still answering, how do these decisions get made? I do like the trail, though. Uh, it turned out pretty nice in it's my mind. It's useful. Yeah, I mean, yeah. getting all the bicycles off the highway from the ferry mm-hmm. it has helped traffic tremendously. And you can see things that are landscaped well and that it, it'll grow in. And there, there's There's enough what do you call it, cover, that the people on the other side of the highway aren't really exposed. Um, so that I like it. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, it going all the way to Olympics someday and me getting on my bicycle and going. And that will be hopefully coming. That will be a public conversation. I, I think it's either going to be held in the context of the sustainable transportation planning as a whole or it will be pulled off to the side and talked about as a – another major capital improvement plan, but I'm just looking forward to the public being involved in that. That's that's something as well that I haven't quite figured out about city council where there's the diocese and the Tuesday meetings, but then there's the separate meetings that you guys have. What, what, what do you call those things? Um, the committee meetings? Yeah, committee meetings and stuff. <laughs> I don't feel like I that information from the committee meetings is, is transparent and I get to see it and figure out what's what what you guys are talking about at times yeah i agree Um, i thought that was cool that you know i started this podcast Mm -hmm. in mostly because i didn't know what the hell's going on in my neighborhood (laughs) and i had opportunity to talk to people like yourself and it's been four years now and i still struggling to know everything that's going on and being up to date so it was nice to see when kobe connects came out and i think it was Kristen drew who started working for the city and then um being a communications manager and then we had a semi-weekly I don't know how often it came out but it kind of talked about 
projects and opportunities to come as a community and talk together. I like that. And then the pandemic hit, and then that paper kind of went by the wayside. Um, it was basically it was an easy read. It was a, mm-hmm. a fold over a piece of paper and had four or five different topics, and we were informed. Yeah. Now the burden doesn't have to be on me or everybody going to four-hour <laughs> city council meetings on Tuesday. Stay away. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we need more people to come. But yeah. So I, re- I remember some guy in some like Halloween costume on a diocese just sta- sitting there, just staring at you guys one time. And he was lime green. He was he was staring down cold and mayor at the time. Um, and I was wondering if there's been, if you could recall any crazy things when the public came out on the diocese. <laughs> you have a be- better memory than I do about that. I remember, um, was he dressed like an alien? I remember I the think alien. So. Uh, that would have been an actor from the theater nearby. Oh, BPA? And they, yeah. And they were... He didn't have time to get out of costume? <laughs> didn't have time to change. I can't remember if he made public comment or just came to listen to something, but I think I eventually saw him pull the mask uh, in, uh, in the hallway and recognize his face. Hmm. Um, I thought, okay, there's no cause for concern. But, you know, when people show up in cost, full costume at a yeah. city council meeting, you, you do wonder... I, I, I believe Cole would be talking and then catch his eye and be distracted enough that he forgot what he was talking about. Yeah, and then he'd just start laughing. <clears throat> Have you stayed in touch with the previous mayor since he's moved away? No, I haven't. Um, it's funny, we're actually friends on a, uh, it's an app. I don't know if I say it, if people will know what it is, Strava. Well, I'm a runner. That, yeah, that's that's GPS. Yeah. So I log my runs. I, you know, even the short ones. What were um, you doing running in a boot? <laughs> <laughs> I saw you, you saw that. Yeah, you Darn ran it. by me while I was walking a dog, and you had a full boot to your knee, and full I was boot. like, so you didn't see the crutch though, because that would have been embarrassing. I was like, what are you doing? You got to oh. heal. Okay, there's nothing worse than for someone who's training to run a 50k to just all of a sudden live with a broken foot. It was the freak, freakiest of freak accidents. Didn't trip over a piece of wood, not a rock. There was nothing on the ground. My foot just landed upside down, broke my fifth metatarsal. Um, yeah, just a clean snap and went from, you know, running 50 miles a week to facing potentially not being able to run for 12 weeks. And that was unacceptable to me. So uh, you're in my club. I have <laughs> broke my metatarsals nine times. Yikes. It's really painful and unpleasant. Yeah. You can't wear shoes. Thankfully, though, they heal pretty quick. They do. Yeah, I did my fair share of crawling around the house, which my kids thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> kind of is. Um, what are some of the things that you um, are proud of accomplishment-wise in the four years that you've been on council? Yeah. Um, did I just ask that? <laughs> I ramble, so if if I've answered this already, oh, critical area, just ordinance. stop me. You were proud yeah, of that, yeah. You know, yeah. And what I else? I got on the council. I was a vote for that. It passed with a four three vote. But I really owe a lot of the work on the critical areas ordinance um, to the council members that came before me. Specifically, the former mayor Medina um, had a really heavy hand in helping draft that legislation. Um, other council members too were definitely more involved. That did, did not just come up one time in February and then it passed. It was years um, of work in the making. So I just happened to be on the council and was fortunate enough to be able to support that. 
Um, moratorium, really proud of that. One of the reasons is um, I think most of us are probably aware of the developments going in on Madison currently, mm-hmm. and they're you know they're townhomes and they're being built by an out of state developer more than likely, um, uh, similar to the ones on Weaver that were built. Um, what we call these big box mansion, McMansion, I think. McMansions, yes. Yeah, is the name. So that was really the inspiration for the moratorium, more developments like those. The McMansions made the New York Times? They did. Yeah, Yeah, Jim, there's a gentleman in the community that's been really um, consistent in his vocal opposition to those kinds of developments, those ones in specific. Um, Funny, I named the trail that goes behind... I probably shouldn't say this. <laughs> but no, this no, I know the trail. I, I walk it every morning. So it's on Stra- nice. Strava, it's called McMansion Trail, uh, and maybe I know the person that named it. <laughs> and then you go through the Bethany Lutheran Trail it is there. Nice. The yeah. connectivity, especially in the central part of the island, is getting a lot better. Oh, the trail's all over. Um, the new pond behind the gas station that I never knew was there. And, uh, you oh, know. With the new trail development that Parks is doing. Yeah, it's Sakai. Yeah, Sakai. Yeah. Sakai Pond, is that what they call yeah. that? I haven't been back there yet. You I'm should. Forward to it. It's not quite complete, yeah. but um, still traversable. Very good word. Yes. Right. Is it a word? <laughs> yes. Last time I did this, somebody told me I used a word that wasn't a word. <laughs> as long as you don't say big, bigly. <laughs> I'll try to avoid that one. Um, but accomplishments. Um, hold, hold on, hold on. Oh, okay. I want to get back to uh, the Madison development. Yeah. The hotel. Mm. Mike Burns, the developer. Did Mike get his money back? I can't answer that question. Um, that's a question that is for Mike, being I guess. Huh? <laughs> well, Mike would know the answer. Mike Burns um, is a developer who tried to develop the property on Madison Avenue in mixed-use retail and low-income housing. Correct? He had a few units that was going to go in there and redevise the the playground in that neighborhood. Uh, kind of knock out a dilapidated apartment complex. That's the f- so f- he's building two projects if I understand correctly. One is 550 Madison, which is the apartment. So that's also just started um, deconstruction. Is that what you call it? They're tearing down. Fi- it was 550 known in the community as 550, and it was an affordable housing apartment rental complex. And I think it was primarily managed by Housing Resources Bainbridge HRB. He purchased that and has plans to um, develop market rate but also formed an agreement with HRB where he would be giving back some of those units to affordability. Uh, I don't know the details of that project. That was more um, in the public eye because of the loss of affordability, but the council, rarely does the council have a role to play in permitting development. I want to be really clear about that. The council's role is in passing the legislation that those permits have to go through before they come to fruition. Gotcha. That is confusing. It is really, it's really confusing. Um, and there are ways to change that, and it's another thing I would like to do uh, with wor- working with the city manager is to put council in a more involved position in uh, permitting specifically conditional use permits, which is where the controversy and the fuss really um, lies, which w- those permits specifically, the Winslow Hotel, I believe, was the CUP. Um, CUP meaning? Conditional use permit. Those, those are basically permitting a use that wouldn't otherwise be allowed or that exceeds um, the underlying capacity or the zoning for that particular plot, but the developer has an opportunity to apply for a conditional use um, if he conditions. Is that the, like the development. purchasing more density in the unit? Uh, like instead of five units, you could purchase more so the zone changes so you can get 12 units or something like that? We used to 
we did have, and this is um, another kind of tie back to the Winslow Hotel, we had um, a very old code. And I, after um, hearing about, you know, the hotel, I was, again, the council didn't have any role to play in the permitting process of that development. Our role, again, is changing code. So the community is, um, you know, contesting this project. It's basically on the grounds that it was just too big. It's 87 rooms. And we're referring to the hotel right now. The Winslow Hotel project, yeah. Um, and I was sort of watching the community debate on the periphery, but it never really was the council's work. But what it got me um, doing was understanding the code that allowed a project like that to come to fruition. Well, because that's where a council member's work lies, right? If you mm -hmm. don't want to see these outcomes, then you have to use that as a model, as an example, and then do the work to pull open that book of code and see where you can make changes to, to the code to prevent outcomes like that from happening in the future. And that was the perspective and approach I took to the Winslow Hotel. It was all under the, um, under the uh, assumption, the expectation that that project would be permitted, had approval from the hearing examiner, and that it would eventually be constructed. When I hosted a town hall to provide feedback from members of the community about the Winslow Hotel, it really was a brainstorming session to help identify what areas of the code I need to jot down in my notebook and then bring to the council and the planning commission to identify as areas we needed to change, areas we needed to clarify. Nothing to do with the Winslow Hotel except they were kind of the guinea pig. Um, we learned a lot from that project. Well, what happened was <clears throat> The council's doing this legislative work, which is the work of the council. Um, and time is going by. We form a, a committee, a land use committee. I don't remember who was on that land use committee. I was not, but I'd been involved in providing some of the, um, highlighting some of the areas in the code that the committee ought to have looked at. They ended up looking at some of the code changes, uh, code sections that related to hotels in Winslow. Um, they ended up about a year later, maybe nine months to a year later, coming back to the council with an ordinance to effectuate the recommendations, which was the work product really out of the Winslow Hotel. Um, effectuate? Is that the word you pass. used? pass, yeah. Like Is that. that a word? I should keep a list of all the words <laughs> I use that I'm not even sure. I'm just trying is. to become a better wordsmith. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, I'll wrap this up quickly because it's, it's so it's so boring. I wish I could tell it in a way that was more exciting and thrilling. I'll work on that. Well, um, <laughs> I had heard a rumor that it cost about eight hundred fifty thousand dollars to that he had put into that hotel project. Oh, with I'm permitting. sure he put in a, yeah, a lot more than that. The eight fifty was the money that he paid to purchase the bonus density. So that was one of the things that I... Holy shite! We had this. Oh, it was like a sleeper code. This is often the times like you have these sleeper code. Provisions that somebody pulled, like they haven't been used in years. Council members don't even know they exist. Mm. And then somebody comes in and uses it, and you're like, oh my gosh, what about that? We need to take that away or change it. And in this case, it was a code provision that allows a developer to buy bonus density. Um, and that really just served to compete with our goals of using whatever bonus density the city gives, really the public gives, mm -hmm. should be in exchange for... Um, of the fulfillment of one of our community needs right now that's affordable housing right so the recommendation was to pull that from the code um he'd already purchased his bonus far at the time so does he get um, that, that back? we pulled that code i think he should I but do. i'm not the city attorney and the administration is really responsible for handling those kinds of things and of course i'm not inclined to say more because some of these discussions have happened 
um, under hey, the Hey, Joe, I need to know if he gets his money back. Yeah, let's Hit just delete up. the last 30 seconds of this. I'm just no, I'm fine. I'm, it's okay. Um, but personally, I could say absolutely. I mean, I think what, you know, the, the, the perspective in the community was that I, you know, we stopped the Winslow Hotel. Well, it, it, there, was a, there was a delay in time of about maybe at least nine months. Um, and anyone can correct me if it turns out I'm wrong. Between the time that the project received approval from the hearing examiner and the time that the council came back and passed that legislation, which essentially put a pause in the developments of Winslow of hotels in Winslow. Um, so the developers could have submitted for a building permit, at which point they would have been vested. I think most council members honestly thought the developer had done that. Mm. Um, that's a lack of communication between council and city staff. Um, but I don't make it my business to figure out where in the permit timeline a developer is necessarily because there's not a lot council can do. We're not the final decision makers. We're not um, supposed to trend into the territory of staff or or supersede the authority of the planning director. That's not the way our code is set up right now. We we change code. That's it. Okay. Let's get back to uh, – I'm sorry. We kind of went on a tangent of Mike, Mike Burns' development projects. <laughs> um, how do you think the roundabout turned out? On Madison, this little one over here. Yeah. Do I okay. Really have to go? <laughs> <laughs> I got the it. Public can't see my face, right? <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say anything. <laughs> It'll take some getting used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I heard there was a horrible um, accident there just recently with Ugh. involving a pedestrian. So. Um, I don't think the public is thrilled, and and if we could build them differently, or better, or not at all in the future, I think the public would probably support that. Yes. So let's get on this roundabout a little bit. Is is there city council seeking to have native art in the middle of that roundabout? Why are you looking at me say... like that? <laughs> I'm just trying to address the rumors here. Well, it isn't a rumor. It's it is, it is true that. There's a council member who has brought forward a proposal. Um, <clears throat> he's bringing it forward, actually. I oh, believe so it's, it's on he. this next week's. It's <laughs> Council Member Deeds. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, that is, uh, has put on the agenda a preliminary discussion for council to consider whether or not it wants to discuss. This is how our agenda setting processes are structured. It's really complicated, but I like the new one. It's complicated as it is to say because it, it's really more equitable and it really does well to preserve the. Um, minority opinion before if you were in the minority on something and you tried to bring an idea or concept forward for council good luck getting mm -hmm. it past that five minute window um i had serious concerns about our former process thanks to the new city manager we now have a new process and through this process council member deets is asking the council to consider um i don't really know what our role would be but um something to do with placing art in the roundabout the, the one that 305 is building uh, sorry washdot on 305. On 305. So not the Madison roundabout. No. This is this is the three of the one on 305. And yeah. the one on Madison to let everybody know or at least this is my conclusion is that that way the 18-wheeler trucks that are bringing the supplies into town can just drive over that roundabout mm -hmm. and that's why it's not more visible per se. And I think the first thing it wasn't reflective when it was first made and finished. And I, I like that they went back and painted some yellow lines and, and such. But uh, Good. It's, I, 
I think we'll get used to it, just like the one by the library, um, by the high school. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people can't see through the vegetation in the middle of the roundabout, yeah. and that seems to be a problem for, for people. In my mind, and there's been a few accidents there. My friend Jamie got hit by a car there, um, broke her arm, I believe it was. In the roundabout? Yeah. Wow. At the high school. And um, some dude from San Carlos was coming up there, and they told him not to drive home. And oh. He uh, was a drunk driver. And Yikes. He made it about two blocks and so hit two pedestrians. And oh, my gosh. Went to jail. Don't drink and drive, kids. Um, what was I saying about that? Oh, so what I like about the vegetation there, it should be a strong indicator to slow the hell down. You know, mm-hmm. like you can't see fully around the roundabout. Right. So does it subconsciously make us drive slower? Yeah. I'm sure some engineer somewhere has an answer for that. I have to imagine that it probably does. There's all sorts of tricks that I've heard from the engineering department that are, you know, considered when they're, um, a cons- you know, conceptually designing roads and roadway improvements and there's a reason for the roundabout the way that it is at Madison and Wyatt I don't remember it specifically but it really was not meant to be fun for cars it was meant to slow cars down um, to prioritize and facilitate the movement of pedestrians throughout Winslow whether it's doing that or not is the question I mean I I know enough from the community to know that um, most people don't like it another thing I don't like was all those cones on Grow Avenue Somebody yeah. had had those like shoulder chest high pylons, you know, right down the center of the lane, all the way down Grow, and I was wondering who okayed that, and of course they're gone now. Mm-hmm. So what have we really accomplished with that? And did that come out of my taxes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, that was a decision of the council in was that twenty twenty must have been or earlier this year, either or. I think it was this Feels year. Feels like forever ago. But they, it was a pilot project, so it was it was okay. brought to the city council's attention by a group that was advocating for safe routes to schools, and what they um, wanted to try on was creating separated pathways for schools' children to be able to walk um, along some of our more neighborhood streets, usual pathways for school children mm-hmm. to get to school. But there's a sidewalk to- on the block over on Madison. All there the is kids, a sidewalk on Madison. All the kids could walk on that. Grow so. is really traffic by school kids getting up yeah. to the high school it's nice um, to live there designated neighborhood greenway um and then there's a lot of car cut through too because it serves mm-hmm. as you know to flow um facilitate the flow of traffic from the south end into winslow it's a sticky problem but it was a, it was a pilot project it was an experiment and part of the thinking um and the kind of the impetus for that was that kids were going to be going back to school this was the end of last school season and School buses, though, were not going to be in operation so because of the COVID pandemic or people just wouldn't use them. They wouldn't send their kids on mm-hmm. to, onto buses to be in close you know, proximity with other students. So um, in the interest of keeping as much of um, our children's time outdoors to prevent exposure to the virus, a bunch of uh, parents, advocates, um, folks that have been working you know, on sustainable transportation at the city came together and conceived of this plan to hopefully minimize the amount of parents that would be dropping off in cars because car school traffic on this island is horrible. It's yeah. a problem. Shout um, out to my son, Vinny, who's walked to school his entire academic career except for preschool. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. 
we're in a fortunate situation yeah. where we're around four or five schools, you know, very walkable. And it's fun to, for him to walk yeah. the trails with his friends and stop by his friend's house. And there's a lot of trails. And shout out to John Grintner. Grintner? <laughs> Johnny, you know who you are. <laughs> appreciate the, all the work that you've done on, on the trails. Um, one more roundabout question. <laughs> it, it looks like uh, there's not really a sewer on Day Road there by the veterinarian spot. There's a um, huge meadow by the land trust there. And it looks like Day Road, which would, in my mind, if there was a roundabout there, everybody could go to the south end of the island. Mm -hmm. And the people coming off island that go into the industrial parks on Day Road around about maybe beneficial there but apparently it's further north mm -hmm. what why where who what's going on you know these are so these are all decisions of washdot so this is this is our washington state department of transportation this is their jurisdiction they own the highway they own the right of way on the sides of the highway to a certain point um this th these are their projects, and while they've done really well to um, solicit feedback from community members and from uh, even from council, we've had several touch-ins with WashDOT on this project since you know my time on the council. So um, we've gotten an opportunity to kind of stay in touch with their planning, um, but it's more or less. Um, as if we're just learning about what it is that they're doing. We don't have any jurisdictional authority over them. We, we don't, the council doesn't get to make any decisions. Can you tell me exactly where the location of this proposed roundabout is going to be on it's the like highway? It's like right at the northernmost point of the island around it, the Adis Well area. Um, so it's almost right when you, right before you exit the island mm -hmm. um, onto the Agate Pass Bridge. And, and if folks are wondering what to what, look forward to. What um, does that do? I mean, if Addis Will is, um, basically a, a horseshoe <laughs> road, right? Yeah. So if you take a right or a left on Addis Will, you're not going anywhere except into the water, basically. <laughs> and then on the other side from Addis Will, there's not like a straight crisscross of roads on the opposite side. So is the roundabout there just to slow us all down? Because it doesn't seem in my mind, and I'm having a hard time visualizing this, it's going to help anything other than slow us down. And it's already, um, sorry, I thought I was done. <laughs> I have to drive my kid to Tacoma and get off the island from school. Yeah. And the traffic on the island, even though it's a 11 mile straight shot to get to the bridge, it's winding up being 30, 40 minutes, depending on if the school's let out on Sportsman mm -hmm. Club and the ferry hits. And if you know I'm two minutes late to the car, you know, it's 30 minutes plus. To get off the off the rock, put a roundabout, <laughs> and the the ability of these guys and gals who cannot drive, worth of beans, I just feel like it's just going to be a cluster. Yeah. Give me some hope. Um, no, well, I'm not going to give you any hope because okay. I don't I don't believe <laughs> in this uh, roundabout. I never supported it. But again, it's not our it's opportunity. Not the, it's this is your this is Washington State Department of Transportation. If I wasn't on the council. I might have chosen that as a project to advocate, you know, as a member of the community against. Um, and I think maybe I wasn't uh, didn't take such a strong position before I saw the construction at the one in Polsbo. 
the amount mm. of land that these roundabouts, these large scale highway roundabouts consume are substantial. And one of the things that we've, the direction that we've taken as a city, I think as a nation, we all identify the need to stop doing more of the same, right? Clearing natural areas and trees to pay, lay down more pavement yeah. to accommodate more cars. It's, I think there's a lot of different um, project ideas, safety improvements, um, traffic mitigation strategies that WashDOT could have explored that would have been something other than just putting in this big roundabout. For whatever reason, they're very popular in Washington State right now. Not um, with me. But I, <laughs> I don't personally care much much for them. And um, this one is going to be traumatizing to the community when it starts to go in. I would personally, and as a council member, like to see uh, the council try and find a way to stop it. Um, but it's really hard to do when it's not in your jurisdiction. Chain yourselves um, to trees. Let's go. We could do that. Something I haven't done on the island yet. <laughs> done it in my life, but not here. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know this, but um, on that Johnson roundabout, isn't that land uh, in the family of the Paulsbo's mayor? And weren't they paid handsomely to have access to that um land and build that roundabout wow i'm gonna stay out of that one i don't know anything about it okay. glad i <laughs> glad i don't that uh, sounds tricky shout out to my mom she always rails against it she <laughs> lives out there in Poulsbo. Poulsbo, is that how you say it everybody says paul but it's not paul paul well see now i don't want to say it anymore <laughs> i'll say it both ways when i when it comes up again the other hood all right so yeah, let's let's start going forward. What are you gonna do um, once you become reelected? What are some of your um, goals, plans, projects? What do you want to see happen in the next four years? Well, the next four years are really important, and um, I I don't know yet if if the community is kind of caught on in terms of how important this election is and what's coming down the pike for Bainbridge. I oh, mentioned it's... earlier the comp plan update, the comp plan, um, which is the comprehensive plan amendment project, which is really where the policies and the tone of the most important issue to Islanders is going to be set. You want people on the council that you know are going to defend the community and defend the values of the community and be really smart about how we articulate those guiding principles and those policies in the comprehensive plan so they can't be pulled in support of, say, for example, upzoning Island Center to match or exceed the density at Linwood Center. Um, same for Rolling Bay. Um, or that they're, the initiatives, and they have been proposals to uh, put high-density development outside of the Winslow core in the past since I've been on the council, um, policies that might be more supportive of that, um, which then gets it further along the path to um, kind of losing this uh, sense of security that we've had as a community, which is that our land use plan is solid. Well, it isn't. Nothing is ever a guaranteed. You can get good council members in that will defend against bad legislation, bad proposals, proposals that are wildly inconsistent with the values of the community. And the minute they get out of office, a new council can be seated and just quickly overturn everything the previous council did. Um, that's why I want to stay on the city council, because I really care about this community and I'm afraid of what could happen to the fate of the island if we don't have people elected into office that not only understand the job, 
um, understand how to work with code, have strong backgrounds in land use, um, are knowledgeable about um, issues relating to zoning, um, but that have proven themselves and demonstrated themselves to stand up in the face of, op of, of legislation or opposition to pro-environmental legislation again and again and again. Um, it's a really important time. And, and as much as I can, I'm using my time on the campaign trail to alert people and let folks know. Because what otherwise happens is you get something like the Winslow Hotel. And here it is. It's already drawn out. It's already planned. The developers mm -hmm. already invested hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's gotten this far down the permit pipeline. And the community looks to the council and says, why is this happening? Well, I'll tell you why it's happening. It starts with your vote. It starts with who's sitting up there on the dais because everything starts with the code and code can be so easily changed and bad legislation can creep in. Um, elect people, good people that match the values that are going to reflect in the decisions they make the direction you want to see this community go into. That's the power the public has. Um, what, what would you say is your best strength? Um, well, I, <laughs> on the council, Yes. Um, well, I've definitely grown a lot in the four years I've been on the council. I can honestly say when I got on this, I tell, did I have, maybe I said this on your show once before. I think you're the same height. I don't know. Am I, I haven't grown. <laughs> it's funny. Good one. My, my shoes might have a slightly higher heel. Um, Break another but... <laughs> metatarsal with that heel. No, when I was running, you know, I was all about passion and advocacy. I'm a, I'm a girl from Berkeley. I grew up in Oakland. I spent, mm -hmm. you know, my 20s um, on Telegraph and, and even in high school, we'd go, um, you know, roam around UC Berkeley campus and cruise the um, BART. Yeah, without shoes. And um, we're all about progressive um, politics, all about, you know, stand ins and marches and, um, I've brought that passion to my work on the council, and um, and I don't give up. And as severe as the opposition has has gotten, as divisive of some and contentious as some of these issues um, have become, I stay focused on the issues. I'm very clear about what my role has been on the council, and that's to advocate for the will of the people and to carry the values of the community forward. Um, and if I'm overcome, if we lose a vote. Um, if the council sends me a way to work harder and, and develop, redevelop the proposal to something more so that they can consider it, again, I do that. Um, I care enough about this community. I care enough about our local democratic system. I care enough about the city to want to continue working to make it change. And at the municipal level, at, in, in terms of the city government itself, there has been a lot of change. We have a new city manager on board, and I can tell you that the future looks bright for Bainbridge under his leadership. He is so experienced. He's so even-keeled, so level-headed. He doesn't get involved in the business of the council. I trust his financial recommendations to the council. Um, and he's working really hard to make our city function. What's function. <laughs> I've heard nothing but great things about him. And I look forward to meeting him and talking with him. But there was a bit of a debacle when it came to the hiring process of city managers. Can you kind of refresh our mind of what was going on? There was a candidate, then a candidate pulled out. 
There was some juggling about who thought who was good, and you wound up with the right guy, in my estimation. But um, yeah, what were the kind of hiccups there? You know, it's a really, it's a really big deal for the council to hire a city manager. It's the biggest decision a council can ever make, because that is the guy that's going to be in charge of the administration. The administration carries out the direction of the council. If you don't have somebody good in that position, the council can sit up there and do what it wants and pass this and pull that, and 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 it won't get done. It'll just go into what I call the void. You'll send a piece of legislation over to City Hall. You'll never see it again. Or ideas that were worked on will just suddenly disappear, and you have mm-hmm. to go back and look for them again. Um, Blair isn't that city manager. And in terms of hiring... I think the city council and the public was coming out of a really long period of mistrust of the administration. There are some members of the council, including myself, that were really skeptical about some of the decisions that the city had made. Um, And even just the way the city relates to its constituents, the the fact that you have citizens filing lawsuits um, against development that the city permitted – it's it screams to me of some there, there's something there there's something not being communicated there's some gap because the city should work for the people that's its function mm-hmm. um, so here you are hiring the most important position at the city it's a decision the council gets to make once every five years everybody has their guy you know you mm-hmm. like this candidate for some reasons you don't like them for others I think what put some members of the public off about the candidate that we hired Mr. King. Uh, was that there were salacious news articles that were pulled about uh, related to his former role in some cities that he served that related to development and that implied that he'd worked in his capacity as city manager to invite big box retail stores, commercial development, um, you know, large downtown condominium developments in some of the cities where he worked. And one of the things that showed me that Blair was a city manager for our city was hearing his response. His level of professionalism, I think, far exceeds any of any city manager that we've ever had at the city he took the time to actually schedule a town hall with the public and i had the privilege of facilitating that town hall and the public threw a lot of really difficult questions at him and he answered them all i think we ran 20 minutes over um, because he wanted to make sure that every question that the public had for him was answered transparently on the public record so i feel like i I got my ear to the ground and I didn't hear about that town hall. How does that come out? And uh, how does the public find out about town halls like that? Well, there's a few ways that folks can stay kind of um, up to date on news from City Hall. One is to sign up for the city manager email. I think that's probably Hmm. one of the best ways to get news out of City Hall. And I think he publishes that, if not every Friday, then every other Friday. Um, Checking out the city's webpage or just contacting your city council members, writing them an email. Um, I would love to get emails that are just open-ended questions and offers to meet for coffee. I don't get those. I get, you know, what the heck was that vote about? Or My Okay, for liver. you, Tim. Okay, from you. Um, uh, no, the public is pretty good about staying engaged, but the question of where do you get information from is still one that the council hasn't solved. Um, I don't know that we'll ever be able to solve it. What, you want to – Let's do it. I'll speak into a mic at the council meeting and just have to do all, like <laughs> – no, just I'm automatic thinking, record. I think the bystanders should get a, a government gig. Uh, <laughs> I know some cities do that. And whatever we can do to, to make um, local government more transparent and more accessible, accessibility is something we've always discussed. COVID's made, you know, presented its own unique hurdles, but um, super important. But public engagement is so important. 
Um, it's so important. That's a whole other show. Can I come back and we can talk about that? Doors always open. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> you were on council when this happened, when we, I don't know about we, but you bought property for the police station and we retrofitted um, the three fire stations. And it seems like the three state-of-the-art fire stations, I believe they ran about 18 million to get them all refurbished and then the cop station is already scheduled to be about 20,000 or 20 million to to build yeah um outside looking in and i know i haven't talked to you about this it seems like you're railing against government spending and that police station what is the solution and if you were on council before what was your viewpoint when we grabbed that land yeah, okay. So we're talking about Harrison. I'm going to roll up my sleeves for this one. Nice. <laughs> so um, I've done my homework on this, um, and and really thanks to um, really caring and concerning members of the public who took the opportunity to start going through some of the public record and information, a lot of which had been provided to the council, which led to the council's vote to purchase the Harrison Medical Facility. So for those of you that no, don't know, um, CHI Franciscan ran Harrison Medical Facility. It was an urgent care facility located over here at 305 in Madison. Uh, they built it in 2016. Across the street from this studio. Exactly. We are right behind the fire it's station. It's still there. Now it's gutted. Uh, we'll get to that point in my story later. But uh, they built, I think it came to complete construction in 2016 as Harrison Medical Facility by 2019, 2020. When did I take my seat on council? No, by 2018. It must have been built before then. Every time I tell this story, I'm like, that can't be true. But then it is, which makes it even more horrible. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, let's fact check that one. Let's just say it was a recent. No fact checking on the bystander. (laughs) It was a recent. um, I'm sure someone will fact check for me uh, and then post the comments. So I appreciate you for doing that in advance. Um, it was a, it was a it was essentially a brand new medical facility. By twenty before I got on the council, twenty eighteen, the city manager alerted uh, those whom were elected in November that the city was considering this purchase. I get on the council and the purchases in the Harrison Medical Facility, um, and my eyebrows go up. I'm like, why? This just having worked in real estate appraisal, um, understanding land use, understanding the real estate market and the industry, I know enough to know. That if you're looking for what is essentially office space as a building to occupy as a police court facility, you don't buy a medical building because a medical building is built to medical standards. Mm-hmm. It has a whole bunch of stuff in it, stuff that you can see, a, a lot of plumbing, excessive plumbing. Um, it has special wa- metals in the walls and things like that in the x-ray rooms. Um, it's built to higher standards. Um, there's a lot of expense there that the city wouldn't be able to capitalize on. It didn't need it. Um, so I never supported it. Um, the thing was, the council was led to believe that purchasing this thing for nearly $9 million was in the best financial interest of the city and the taxpayers. And one of the reasons that they were able to say that was because they kind of confronted the council and said, well, look around. There's no other cheaper alternative. Now, we had cost estimates of other alternatives that appeared to be and were presented to council as being far more than Harrison which was anticipated to be about $20 million. Now, we know it's going to be a little bit more than that, more, more or less. Hopefully not four to five more if it's built. 
Um, but that's what architects are, are anticipating. Look at me knowing my numbers. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I brought my folder. Um, I... Hold that. Where do I Hold where do button. I go from here? I've, there's so much information. Yeah. It, okay. Why yeah. didn't we um, refurbish the current police station? Well, again, the council was um, you know a lot of information was coming out from city hall to the council. Of course, we rely on the administration on the city to provide us with the information that we need to make an informed decision. Um, that information also relayed to the council that building at the current site was just not feasible. Um, and there weren't, unfortunately, a majority of council members that wanted to look at it hard enough to get into the numbers of what it actually would cost to build there. I've recently learned that the council's never done that. In fact, it was relayed to me, and it was the impression of the community that we'd looked into it, we'd cost assessed it, and it was just going to be too expensive. In fact, I think it was stated... Um, that it would be the most expensive of any of the options to redevelop at that of the, the at the existing site. Um, Why is that? You just knock out a wall and make the building a little bit bigger. Well, there's you know. I mean, how much traffic do we have in the police station or in the courthouse? And that's where your police needs assessment comes into play, which we also haven't done. Other cities prior to building or even preparing to build police court facilities will hire a consultant to perform a police needs and, and assessment. Because depending on your police needs, then you have a better sense of what kind of building you need, how to accommodate a force, potentially a growing force or a declining force, whatever it, it might be. Um, but we didn't do that at the outset. The figures that— But you guys yeah. got to consult for a logo for $50,000. Why would you not do the assessment <laughs> on the police station? I don't get that. that sorry, sorry. Yeah. Well, that wasn't—I <laughs> wasn't on the council at that point in time. So prior to my get, even getting on the council, the whole police station issue was a mess. And that was because the council put on the ballot Prop 1. Sorry to remind you of that for those of you that were involved in— in opposing that um, that ballot uh, proposal from the council, it failed seventy five percent, and the number attached to the police uh, facility, police court facility, if it, I can't recall if it was joint, was fifteen million, and the cry on the streets was that's way too much. Um, and if you recall, I think the site for that was north of uh, city hall, so the proposal would have been to acquire, I think, a site that had um, some environmental. The laundry, conditions at the, the city. Laundry mat I think it was. It might have been the property more north, but I do remember that being. Uh, it's a little bit before my time. Um, but so we're coming out of this huge failure of this, of the city government to put to taxpayers, and I, and ask them to vote on something in confidence that the administration and the council have made good decisions leading mm. up to this, uh, asking for, for for public funding, and the public says no, seventy five percent no. Uh, and so the council then changes. I get on, and, and here's Harrison. Um, wherever it came from, I don't know to this date, but I know that the sellers approached the city, and we very quickly found ourselves with a majority of council that just wanted to buy this building. They just thought that it was the cheapest option. That's what we were told. That's what the cost estimate sheets reflected. Turns out that's not the case. Um, well, and I've Moreover, yeah. and sorry to interject here, but... There's seven people on council, so the majority of city council would be four people That's right. making the decision mm -hmm. on that big of a project. Is that fair to us as as voters? No. 
It's not. And one of the things I talked about um, in kind of offloading this burden that, um, you know, me and members of the public and other council members have shared with regard to this purchase, because it, it, it is without a doubt um, the biggest waste of taxpayer dollars that our city has ever made. And I want members of the public to really understand that. It's not good. It wasn't a good decision. Um, I don't think current members of our city administration believe it was a good decision, but we made it. We own that building now. The question mm -hmm. is, what do we do next? And then again, you have different opinions on the council. The first thing I talked to the city manager about was, uh, I think before he even got on, we, we'd have a weekly conversation, sort of get to know you kind of mm -hmm. thing, um, was, um, is it fair that a nearly $9 million spending decision now ended up being more than that because where the, where the public uh, would have gotten a vote to spend in 2016 or 2015 on Prop 1, what the council did, knowing that the last time they took this to the public for a vote, it failed. The public said no. They issued council manic bonds, which meant bonds that were approved by a vote of the council. In my opinion, that's just a circumvention of the taxpayers. Yeah. It's a way to not invite you to the table. It's a way to not hear public input in opposition of this project. It's as simple as a council vote. So when we took out that bond, which is money we use to purchase Harrison, we also adopted a $3 million uh, interest burden on that bond, which means we're $11 million in the hole for the purchase of that building. Um, not a good deal. No, especially this, if we got three fire stations for less than that, and we haven't even broke ground on the police station. It's, it's not a good deal. It's really unfortunate. Um, it makes me really sad um, for Bainbridge, and, and because – being on the city council, I have been involved in arguments over 10,000 or 12,000 or 20,000 to a very worthy organization. I have been on councils that have said, we can't give you 60,000, we might be able to give you 30 to a very worthy organization actually helping people. And here is $9 million plus that just walked out the door. And I don't know how to be okay with that. It, that's why I'm running for city council. That's why I've been pushing this. The city manager says, council says, there's no use in rehashing the how we got here. We just need to know how to go forward. Mm -hmm. I agree we need to look at what we do from here. We need to start making smart financial decisions from here on out, absolutely. But if we don't go back in time and understand how this happened, that means it could happen again. Mm -hmm. We have to take the time to, to learn from our mistakes if we want to be better and not make the same mistakes again. We should never make a mistake like this again because it hurt people. I'm all for uh, selling it back to a hospital group that's non-religious based. There's only like 12% of the hospitals in America now are not religious, religious ba based. And kind of scares me if there's an oath to Jesus over the Hippocratic oath of mm -hmm. doctors and that's a concern in the back of my mind. Um, yeah, let's sell it back to another hospital. I mean, we just lost uh, Swedish recently. Um, healthcare on this island is is very minimal. You got one spot to go to, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's another unfortunate, you know, um, aspect of this whole the whole Harrison debacle is we probably could have used that building as a medical facility. The community could have. Yeah, uh, we're looking at right now. Even if we were to build out Harrison as police court, we won't have an emergency operations um, center, a place for our emergency operations 
coordinator or manager to operate from. Uh, and then we're start, starting as a community, as a world, to change and shift a little bit, prioritize healthcare for people and accessible healthcare, access to testing. And, um, you know, that building really could have been useful uh, mm -hmm. to the community. Of course, at the time that we purchased it, no one could have seen COVID coming. Um, but it is an interesting thought that, hey, maybe it could be repurposed for that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be nice if we had you know, the courthouse is in Rolling Bay area, and that's kind of a density area of shops and, and such. And if we could have maybe bought that courthouse and rebuilt that, maybe that would have been a cheaper area for the police station. There's no limit to what the city and the city council and the community can't do, um, except through your elected officials. You know, mm -hmm. really, and that's where public process and public engagement really comes into play. And that's really what it means to me, um, what accountability means to me. It means listening and considering options and opinions and perspectives in the community, approaching a problem um, from a, a bit of a, a skeptical side, mm -hmm. not being so um, easily swayed by recommendations from staff, for example, but having the courage uh, and the intelligence to be able to question them mm -hmm. and to probe more and to dig more. And I think council members, the administration does what it does. Council has an obligation, I think, as a council member to go, can we do better? And can we push you to, to do something different? Here's mm -hmm. what our community wants. Can you take that back and bring it, bring us something different? Um, instead of just rubber stamping all the time. Right. You get things that, you know, are at this point, the for my conversations with the city manager, um, are not that building, if it's built, might not even meet our current needs because now our current needs suggest that we ought to have room um, for our emergency response. Yeah, and the longer operations. longer we put it off, the more it's going to cost down the road. You That's know, true. Inflation hits. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of rubber stamping and a lot of go with the flow and not thinking. That's why I appreciate having you and other council members come in here and mm -hmm. just have an honest discussion. And maybe I saw something a certain way, and I'm seeing that because that's the majority of the way that people are, are seeing things, mm -hmm. but without actually having the knowledge and, and doing some insight on it. You know, I'm, I'm not being true to myself. I need to learn more so I can make an educated decision mm -hmm. as opposed to just going with the mob. You know, I tell my kid all the time that, you know, be kind and, and you cannot succumb to the mob mentality. You can't all of a sudden let down your guard and then because two other people or three other people or six other people want to do a certain thing. You have to be an independent thinker. Yep. Um, some of that has to do with this newspaper rag that we have. I mean, <laughs> the Bainbridge Review. Um, there's a lot of talk within the public um, about you, and I'd like to give you the opportunity to address any and all of these um, ongoing comments. <laughs> they yeah. seem to have no news. It's not like little Shirley, you know, sold the cookies and now she sent money to Costa Rica for, you know, cleft kids or something like that. There's a lot of that missing, you know, the, the feel-good story about what some of these great community members are doing you know, even here at, at the barn, Bainbridge Artisanal Resource Network, there's, you know, me, people making kayaks out of wood. There's glass fusion. There's world cooking classes for kids. There's a lot of really cool things going on. And some of these people have a lifetime of experiences that 
that they can share. And I just don't see the paper. It's like four pages of ads. It is Anne Lovejoy telling you how to plant your plants. Somebody giving me a, a, a recipe, which is ridiculous in my mind because there's so many recipe websites you know, that populate. Like I'm on New York food all the time, so every day in my mailbox, here's what you should cook this week. And uh, it just seems outdated. We have two pages from USA Today that we kind of co-op, and then there's letters to the editor, and then there's usually like one or two articles in the whole paper. And it mm -hmm. seems like one week, you were this glamour girl on a bicycle in front of City Hall. <laughs> then the next week, everybody's up, up, up your business, for lack of another term. So the accusation is that you as the mayor of Bainbridge Island is, are having a relationship with the deputy mayor. There's possible block voting, that you've moved in with him, and that he's bought you a car, <laughs> and all this is going through very uh, difficult time for you because you are currently in the middle of a divorce. And I, I know you got to watch what you, what you say because you're still in the middle of that trial. Um, would you like to respond to all those accusations, Bainbridge <laughs> Review? Um, you know, it is. It it has been uh, really interesting, and I will. You know, I'll start by saying that. Um, you know, for me, it's nothing new. When I was campaigning, I I was in 2017. I was on the receiving end of allegations of having lied about graduating from college. So I called my mom down in Berkeley, and I'm like, Mom, can you dig up my diploma? I hope you have it somewhere. And she you know, sent me a copy, and I ended up posting it publicly um, to refute the allegation that I'd lied about having graduated from UC Berkeley. Um, when I got on the council, same stuff. Probably members of the public probably remember seeing me on the Bainbridge Review on the front page. Um, uh, allegations up. of illegal development, allegations of... Um, being oh yeah, the wellhouse pump. The pump house and the Apparently yeah. Except it, I, I wish it were just the pump house because that's all it was. Um, and uh, you know, um, allegations of being corrupt or uh, hypocritical, um, of vote of of living in a way that that's a good picture of you at least. <laughs> I took that picture after my first day of criminal law. Nice. Yeah, I was feeling pretty good about having finally made it to law school. Uh, anyway, so. I don't want to derail you. Anyways, yeah, uh, no, uh, no, I'm really happy for the opportunity to speak to this because I, you know, I took a different approach at the time that these allegations were arising when they were arising in 2019, and that approach was just to stay focused on my job, mm -hmm. and to protect the interests of my family and really my two small kids who were very small at the time. I think I had a baby 2018, yep. and Anavi is just 21 months ahead, so. Um, I was really focused on parenting, being involved in their school life, uh, and also focused on the issues. I wasn't going to let any amount of opposition um, deter me from, uh, from, from doing what I needed to do, from doing what I was elected to do. And in that sense, I think the more um, I, I wear my opposition like a badge, because it must mean I'm doing something right. Mm, you like the you're, you're okay stirring <laughs> the pot. and Well, um, I can't say it's easy, and I do think it's unfortunate well, that it's also personal— 
come whether whether you want yeah. it or not. It does, and that's you know that's that's the hard lesson of being an elected official is you are in the public eye, and people do wonder about aspects of your personal life, and they wonder how that might interfere with or affect your professional role in in, in politics, and and the answer that I that I, I have for folks is look to see the quality of the work, look to see their position on the issues. That's where you're going to get to gauge whether or not the things that folks are saying about them in the community are true. Show up to a council meeting, call them on the phone, ask for a coffee. And I guarantee what you're going to learn is that there's another side of the story that has never been told and that the story that's now being spread out in the community that's now the salacious, scandalous, really juicy, fun to talk about thing is probably not true. And it's probably just how we play, you know, telephone. I remember doing that in grade yeah. school and how a rumor can No, we start do it as adults and, on Bamridge Island still. Yeah. And, and, you know, aside from that, because the allegations, unfortunately, were, I don't know how they got onto the public record. Um, they did. And, and I'm going through divorce. I think most of the community is aware of that now. And unfortunately, it's contentious. Anything I say related to the to the divorce becomes part of the divorce court record. Mm. I think we have enough attorneys on this island and enough folks that have been through divorce themselves that probably understand that. And I just ask the public to, um, you know, for their uh, respect and privacy. I have two small children that are, you know, in the middle of this difficult time in our lives. Um, in terms of my work on the council and my desire to continue my work on the council, hasn't slowed me down. Um, in fact, it's, it's compelled me even more because one of the issues that I've long since been aware of in city government is the treatment of council members, certain council members, in our community by other council members, um, by mechanisms that we have in place at the city to mm-hmm. further these allegations that really relate to a person's character and conduct, have nothing to do with their, with their capacity or their ability to do their jobs. Um, it's really wrong. And I'm, I, I realize just how harmful it's been. It's been personally a challenge, of course. Um, but the damage is done in the community, the perceptions that have been formed, really hard to break. The fear that it's, that it's um, kind of spread too. But before I ran, before I put my name in the hat to run for a second term, I picked up the phone and I called people, people that I thought – um, would be interested in the role that would be interested in me helping them to develop them into a leader, teaching them the job. And everybody told me the same thing. No way. Being on that city council is mm-hmm. professional suicide. I don't want to go through what you went through. I don't want articles printed in the paper about my personal life. I'm not perfect. I have ghosts in my closet. I'm human. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem for me. Because that is a direct attack against our democracy. If we have structured our government, if we have embraced, and whether or not actively or implicitly by virtue of our our inability to stand up to these kinds of things, um, the effectiveness of these political strategies, then we're losing our democracy because we're scaring people away. And it isn't the first time I've heard that. I've invited people to come speak on the give public comment in support of race equity initiatives. Um, No, no, I don't want my name on the public record because Mm -hmm. I know what happens when you get on the public record in this community. You then become a target for attack. I don't want to be attacked. Um, And that really hurts. That really hurts uh, because we are a community so much better than that. 
Mm -hmm. progressive democratic ideals. We care about each other. You go out there on the street, I guarantee you if I needed anything from the first person I saw cross me on the sidewalk, mm -hmm. he or she would give it to me as I would do the same. So why? Mm -hmm. Why this? What is the purpose? Is it really just power politics and control? Whatever it is, I want to serve another four years so I can work to change it. Because everybody has a voice. Everybody deserves to be heard. I don't care how you've lived, what your preferences are. I don't care what bad has happened to you in your life. You have a voice and you deserve to be heard. And nobody has the right to take that away from you. Risham Nassar, Bainbridge Island mayor, running again for city council. Is there um, a website or anything that people can f learn more about you? Reelectrisham.com uh, is my website. Um, yeah, you can find my phone number, email address, reelectrisham at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, phone number, we'll bounce back on the email response thanking you for your email. Feel free to give me a call, shoot me a text. It's my personal line on there, but it's all campaign related, so it's off the public record uh, for your information as well. would love to hear from you. I'm super excited to get out there and meet all you beautiful folks and um, passionate people on this island and really work, um, hopefully, for another four terms, for another four years um, to protect the things that we love. Okay. Thanks for coming into the bystander today in Studio 15. I know that, that was a difficult way to end, but I appreciate you addressing it. And um, people out there in Podcastville, please support the show on Patreon. And you can also click in the links of the story below and buy some mud water and support the bystander. You've been listening to Risham Nassar and Timothy Self on The Bystander. Be kind. Thank you.